Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. It is going to be an amazing journey today. Hope you're ready for liftoff. We are live now. Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. We have an amazing special guest here today, uh, David Linkham. And uh, I don't know how many books he's uh, written, because he's writing one as we speak, um, and how many LinkedIn. I think I just saw 45,000 some LinkedIn students coming through LinkedIn, and maybe I'm wrong, but David, it's so great to have you here, and you're going to be leading us on some discussions on the importance for tech innovation optimization in 2024. Um, if If you could just give us a little more about you that would be relevant, that would be great. Sure. Uh, Dave Lenthicum, I uh, work for Deloitte. I've been there for about six years. I'm this cloud strategy guy. In addition to that, I do a lot of thought leadership stuff, including a lot of podcasts. I have my own podcast called the OnCloud Podcast. Uh, about 50, 60 courses on LinkedIn Learning, 17 books, including the one behind me, Insider's Guide to Cloud Computing. I do the InfoWorld blog on uh, cloud computing as well as a few others. Uh, so that's just kind of wallow in the technology in terms of where it's going. So I'm typically the where the ball's going to be kicked guy, what the next generation of technology is going to look like and trying to make educated guesses as to where to place bets. Awesome. Well, thank you for that good, concise intro. Um, can you, Let's just start it off with the importance for tech innovation optimization in 2024. Yeah, I mean, we just did a recent study at Deloitte that kind of told me what I already knew. Uh, was the fact that uh, a lot of value that goes to companies and their longevity is going to be completely dependent on their ability to utilize technology effectively. And we've always known aspects of that, but in many instances, I think companies looked at IT as an expense more so than an asset. Uh, you know, certainly during the pandemic, we you know made some tactical moves to move things in the cloud. Uh, we've gone through some digital transformation cycles, things like that. But it really hasn't, uh, you know, gotten to everybody's radar screen that, in essence, it's becoming the business. And if you think about it, you know, folks like Airbnb and uh, Netflix and, you know, uh, and Uber and a bunch of those that are just technology companies at the end of the day, really define what their business businesses are. And so if you're looking at pharmaceutical, you're looking at manufacturing, you're looking at automobile production, you're looking at all these other things moving forward, their technology is going to be in their customer experience that they provide is how people uh, rate them as a valuable asset to use. And if you think about it, we're you know always uh, you know using technology in different ways and we're going to evaluate our ability to put value on the company and the company's products and services on their ability to leverage technology to take things to the next level, to provide them a superior experience, to provide more value than the other providers that are out there. And it's really kind of focusing on that. And I think a lot of enterprises that are missing that mark right now aren't going to be around in 10 years. And a lot of the enterprises that are looking to be disruptors or going to come from nowhere in many instances, provide superior technology. And, you know, very much like, you know, com- companies like Tesla's done and other companies in the space, you know, start disrupting the space and actually creating a whole new marketing trend, market trend in the area. In their case, EVs, mm-hmm. uh, but it can be anything else. It could be the ability yeah. to have mass-produced pharmaceuticals, you know, healthcare providers, things like that. Yeah, with the customer experience and value, how do you see the challenge for companies integrating that design 
user experience with the hard software engineer and then also i guess we're talking cloud and everything hardware as well how, how do you integrate that that seems to be you know a really difficult thing for companies to do and do well yeah well they've been at it for about the last five years and the whole digital transformation movement is what that is and if you look at all the digital transformation information that's out there they'll draw the customer in the middle and the technology around the end and in essence we're focusing on the customer and providing a better experience so it's just nothing i i don't think people have made the investments that they need to make in it and so the in the, the reality is that many companies have fallen behind in terms of their ability to leverage innovation we've had recent slowdowns in some industries not all industries but they've kind of fallen back on their momentum to move into a new space and create something that's going to be unique and innovative in the space. And at the end of the day, that's how the market's going to evaluate somebody. In other words, if you, people are putting a value on the market in terms of a market cap, things like that. In many instances, not on the revenue as much. It's on their ability to have assets and innovations that are going to take them to the next level. So the more you're able to do that, the more that the shareholders and the stakeholders in the company and the customers are going to benefit from that. So it's really just kind of following that benefit. But um, we're, we're kind of at a point right now where it's it's do or die. So maybe five years ago, it was kind of, you know, kind of adorable to have a digital uh, transformation strategy. Everybody had one. It was kind of what, what the cool kids had. Uh, did probably had somewhat success in moving it forward. And now here we are in 2023, 2024. Uh, it's everything in order for businesses to take off. And the other thing that's occurring right now is the adoption of generative AI. That in essence accelerates the last mile problem that we have with digital transformation, the ability to bring an experience or better experience or a better product and better service you know, out to the customers. And so the idea is how are you going to leverage this as a, as a true force multiplier? And so when you look at the executives in the organizations, in many instances, they're probably not asking the right questions. They're not probably not driving the right changes moving forward. They're focused on the tactical things where everything needs to be more strategically focused. And I think the companies that kind of get that and their name brands today are, are really kind of changing the game. They, in essence, become market makers under themselves. So. The importance of this can't be over overemphasized, and I think that many of the uh, the players out there are finally seeing the value and starting to make the changes, starting to change the cultures, you know, starting to change the expectations among the employees and the stakeholders in the organization. Some aren't getting it, some are, and those are the ones that are left behind. And by the way, it's going to be brands that have been around for 150 years. They're not necessarily going to go away, but they're going to sink off into oblivion and you know, kind of get bought and die off and combined with other things. And so. We're going to see what I call a brand apocalypse, where a lot of key name brands are going to end up being disrupted and going away because of their inability to leverage technology as a true as a true true change, which is what it is. So, so what's the killing off of older businesses, and why? Um, I, I love that concept. I think you were kind of getting into it a little bit, but if you could unpack that, that would be great. Yeah, it's the killing off would be uh, people making other choices that don't include that business. And if you think about it, um, you know, it's there's always a, a massive comp competition that's out there right now in terms of, you know, food delivery and ride sharing and, you know, even doing rental car markets differently, things like that. If businesses aren't able to figure that out and take advantage of that and participate in that market uh, change, that dynamic in the market, 
then they're just going to go away because as people who provide money to those businesses to pay for their services and products, we're going to make other choices. And so you're going to see um, basically a lot of businesses start being very unprofitable because people are making other decisions in terms of how they're buying products and services. It may be perfectly fine and they may have a good product in the market, but they're unable to get to that next level in providing a unique product or unique customer experience is what people are looking for right now. And we as customers are, are becoming, are, are dealing with different metrics. It's not only the product itself, the quality of the product, but our value, the ability to get uh, value out of that stuff very quickly, but also the ability to deal with a company that's gonna respond to us very quickly. Our ability to buy things, service things, implement things and get advice and technical support around those things. And if companies are kind of thinking uh, at the next level and how we're going to provide that leveraging technology to provide it, you know, um, uh, generative AI is an instance of that. So in other words, we're able to go in and actually ask them a question and get not a bunch of articles that have been written three years ago on how something's done, but a real interactive experience that's going to be of value to us. We're able to find our problem very quickly and fix our issue. And I think most of the older companies are lacking that. They just mm -hmm. don't have the capabilities to make those things scale. They've spent last 20 years outsourcing a lot of that stuff, um, basically trying to leverage uh, cheaper resources in order to get better with what they think would be better profitability and therefore a better market share. That's not uh, what people are looking for right now. They're, they're looking for companies that are able to invest in their products and services, able to do things a bit better and always asking the question, you know, is this the best we can do? Are we leveraging, looking at the technology out there, is this technology that we're exploiting to take the business to the next level? And if the answer is no, which it is most mm -hmm. of the time, then it's creating the culture of innovation, the culture of questioning, the culture of disruption within these organizations taking the next level. And you look at some of these cultures, of the older business, that's always um, a career killer. So the mm -hmm. more you're trying to ask questions and be a dissenting opinion and disruptive and being devil's advocate, things like that, that's normally not going to get you up the promotion mill. However, companies mm -hmm. where that is going to be valued is going to get you more promoted. And therefore, mm -hmm. the leadership in these organizations are those people who are always asking the questions and ask questions that are, quite frankly, tough to answer. Mm -hmm. But they're always hungry and taking the business to the next level, never satisfied. So it's not just about making the quarter. It's about creating something that's unique and innovative that no one else has and the ability to be able to exploit it and take the businesses to the next level. And it doesn't matter if it's healthcare, retail, um, uh, banking, uh, you know, automobile manufacturing, doesn't matter. Everything kind of comes down to that. And so that lack in the business, which I'm seeing a huge lack out there, mm -hmm. is going to find that other businesses are going to go away. Uh, or sorry, the businesses able, aren't able to exploit that and understand that are just going to go away. And what's what's uh, most uh, kind of a bummer about that is they probably don't even know why. They just think, mm -hmm. why are people other making decisions? Well, the market's fickled. Um, yeah. They, uh, you know, were, you know, the the customers just aren't there anymore. The demographic mm -hmm. got away. And that's not going to be the case. The case yeah. is other people are able to drive success because they're able to work around the problems, able to right. create something that's going to be better than what you're doing. Yeah, I think when when you've been talking, I've been thinking about industries and you already said it as I, I was as you were talking, you brought up retail, you brought up healthcare. And I just as a consumer with healthcare, it's so like we don't want to be in a hospital. No one wants to be in a hospital. And we have all this legislative, regulatory nonsense and uh, demonstration. But um, and Amazon's 
failed. They're going at it again. They acquired one medical, which is like a primary care. They've done pill pack to get pharmacy to you. Um, to me, I see that as a huge opportunity. I also see the grocery stores. I really feel for the grocery stores. I see now advertisings for different companies, whether it be HelloFresh, that want to give you what you need at a cheaper price. Whether they really can do that, I doubt it. But when you think about the experience as a customer going to a grocery store, same thing week after week, <laughs> picking out those. So I, um, I, I don't want to. So anyway, I'm just bringing those two uh, industries up from, as a consumer just seems really frustrating. And it just, uh, when I talk to people in healthcare that are at hospitals, it, I am, you know, I'm just waiting for uh, the right, you know, it's just getting the labs, the interoperative. I mean, it's just such a huge, horrible customer service experience. And then to pay for it, the cost and transparency, but I don't want to hijack um that to just one thing. So I'll stop there. <laughs> no, healthcare is a primary example of, I mean, why is, you know, why is a, a big um, retailer, online retailer buying a pharmaceutical, co- sorry, buying a, a, a pharmacy company, buying a pharmacy company. And that's because they're looking at the ability to disrupt that company and use those products and services to take things to the next level, as well as a grocery store, uh, you know, as well as an automobile manufacturer. And I think that's coming where we're going to have lots of different ownerships of different kinds of car companies. We're seeing the explosion of EVs right now, guys like Rivian uh, and other companies that are, you know, coming up and disrupting the space and then pushing uh, them to get something to the next level. And that they're really, their bet is that they're able to take something that's typically going to be an old traditional product and turn it into something that's going to be a lot easier to use and a lot easier to consume. Healthcare is a primary example. I mean, you do not want to be in a hospital. I did that one week, you know, in my life, never want to do it again. Mm-hmm. And it was just the experience wasn't there. There was no information there. It's like I couldn't get access to doctors and nurses to tell me uh, mm-hmm. what was going on. And, and uh, it, I remember being delayed, you know, to being released for three days because the doctor was on a vacation. Mm-hmm. And all that kind of stuff goes on. And there is no one asking the question as to how this can be automated in a certain way and make the experience better so people are able to consume healthcare better. And I think that saves lives. I think many yeah. people don't like to go to doctors and hospitals and things like that because they it's they know it's such a negative experience. They know it's very expensive and they know it's going to have outcomes that are not necessarily positive. So they stay away as much as they can. They're not getting the checkups. They're not getting the blood mm-hmm. work done. They're not getting a lot of things that are really applicable to somebody being healthy. Well, the healthcare industry could make that a lot easier. Mm-hmm. It could make the automation of things a lot easier. Mm-hmm. The ability to deal with wellness and things like that and manage services and the ability to uh, t- to manage uh, you know high blood pressure and uh, and obesity and things like that in, th- in much more proactive ways. So we're not just reacting to health events that occur from these chronic diseases, but we're able to manage them through and, and do so in a way where people are willing to participate. Uh, which is, you know, I can't imagine anybody would want to, uh, you know, volunteer uh, to get into any of this, any kind of programs, Mm -hmm. understanding that they're going to be a huge bummer, I think, to deal with. And so they're, they're primary, they're there to be disrupted. I think during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. we're consuming health over electronic mechanisms. That was a huge innovation. I never understood why that wasn't an option. Now it became Mm -hmm. an option because of the pandemic and we're having different Healthcare plans, the ability to consume pharmaceuticals in a different way, 
uh, be able to deal with doctors in a different way and the ability to live in a much more healthier way. We just have, you know, we're at stage two, we need to be at stage 15 <laughs> and it's going to be another, you know, 20 years before we figure that out. Unless yeah. some company comes along where maybe they're out of the healthcare world uh, realm, mm -hmm. but they are a technology company, you know, fill in the blank there. They buy a healthcare company that has a primary services. Maybe it's a hospital system or it's, you know, it's a pharmacy and they're able to do things that are game changers in the business and essence create the market. And so in mm -hmm. other words, the other ones are going to follow because they're able to leverage technology as a true force multiplier. We're able to have better customer patient experiences, better customer experiences, better ways to deliver pharmaceuticals, all these sorts of things that are ripe for change just because everything we just mentioned, the deficit of doing that. And then suddenly own the space. And at the same time, everybody has to change and follow them, which is a good thing. So in other words, for them to stay in business. And also we're going to see a lot of healthcare organizations, not picking on those guys, it's all industries that mm -hmm. end up falling by the wayside, either have to sell out to a company that's able to take things to the next level or exit the industry altogether, which is a shame. But in many instances, you can trace those back to self-inflicted wounds. The market didn't go away. It just changed. Mm -hmm. You failed to adapt to the market. And therefore, that's why you're you're leaving. Yeah, I just feel like it's a general mindset that we're talking about. It's this hubris, lack of really empathizing, and it's design thinking that just is not. I mean, I think like what I really um, just with Bezos, with his 1997 shareholder, I mean, it's like the, the his tenants. It's like it's like start with principles, principle thinking. Yes, people want better choice. They want cheaper products and healthcare needs to start with people don't want to be at the hospital should be one rule. Number one, this whole, I mean, it's like a no duh. I mean, my, I don't have a five-year-old, I have a 14 year old, but anyone could tell you that, but they have that, that to me is design thinking flaw. One Oh, I don't care how many fountains you have. I don't care how many great uh, piano you have in the whatever glass and all the fancy stuff. People don't want to be there. And, it, you know, to me, I, I would love to hear, universally from all hospital executive leaders that they get it they don't you know so anyway i'll stop that i'll stop there <laughs> no no I, I think you're right and in many instances they view customers in this case patients as uh, i wouldn't say the enemy but as uh someone that they have to deal with that they'd rather not deal with they'd rather you know function them out of the equation even though they have to deliver services mm -hmm. to that person order to get paid by the payer in order to mm -hmm. order to stay in business. So it is a functional change in culture, the ability to look differently at your customers as someone that can be delighted and someone mm -hmm. where we can take things to the next level. And whether it's healthcare, you know, another one's airline industries have a, I think a, oh, yeah. a prime to be disrupted uh, with that kind of stuff. The ability to kind of, and they're, they're far behind in some of the technological changes that have occurred in the last 20 years, they, they haven't caught up. Um, and the ability to leverage technology to provide a product that's going to bring your business to the next level, but do so with a collective understanding that everybody in the company from, in the case of the airline business, the person who's working the ramp, you know, to the CEO, have to participate in a culture and be part of a culture that change is good. Change should be adopted. Change should be, uh, uh, change should be driven from, uh, from, from, from the grassroots on up and, and promoting that culture in these organizations. That's gonna take a lot of time and energy to make that happen. In many instances, uh, I don't think it's gonna happen for a lot of these older companies that have these innate cultures where change is necessarily pushed back on. Uh, they view uh, you know, they view the market as something that's gonna always produce revenue for them. 
when that's mm -hmm. not always going to happen. And I think we're seeing signs of this now where these things are starting to occur. And we're seeing some companies change, maybe 2%, 3% of companies are moving in this direction. Many of them that we know are the brand name technologies you see every day that we know are disruptors and innovators. Most people are pushing back on it. Can't mm -hmm. afford it. You know, um, don't, don't think it's going to work. That's the big thing I hear. Uh, and I always say, what's going to work? I haven't proposed anything. Um, and then your ability to spend money, invest, and make strategic investments become more efficient than we had in the past to change things and take things to the next level. And so it becomes a, it kind of a becomes kind of a moral uh, courage that has to occur mm -hmm. within these companies. And we did find that at Deloitte as well. We did a, did a, a study in terms of who's successful with digital transformation and cloud computing, and it blew me away in the fact that everybody was spending about the same amount of money. The ones who were successful had the innovative uh, drivers and disruptors in the organization are able to create a culture to take things to the next level. So this you know, thing that I get when I talk to people about you need to do digital transformation, you need to start modernize your business and modernize your practices and have better customer experiences. And I get told they can't afford it because there's no budget there to make that happen. That's not the case. It's nothing to do with money everything to do with culture, everything to do with innovation and desire of leaders in the organization to take risks and take uh, to drive change, to create things for the better. So it doesn't take money, takes courage, takes the ability to change and takes your ability to have cer a certain ap appetite for risks and a certain appetite for some failure. None of this is going to come without making mistakes. Uh, and if that becomes a career ending uh, event within your company, you're not thinking the right way. You're not you're not creating a culture where people are out there trying to change things. Are you able to share any sort of um, specifics like uh, that? Whether it was I mean, I know I could imagine it's definitely has to happen at the C-suite at the at executive leadership. Um, and, uh, you know, if there's um, sort of a time horizon, you know, from the start to finish, any sort of details you could get in some a success story that you were really blown away with. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, uh, the, some some from several years ago, uh, where it was a company that did something as simple as manage uh, railways uh, for large railroad industries. And so this was a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar company, logistical information and things like that. Um, they were able to create a new innovation, a new technology, in this case, drones that operated on railroad tracks to automate the maintenance and supply and the safety record of these railroads. And so by doing that themselves, they're able to in essence, create a net new industry. No one thought about doing this in the railroad industry, even though it was, it was ripe for disruption. Uh, the ability to have drones that are able to, to spot and manage uh, track disruptions, the ability to deal with logistics information, the ability to provide more of a logistics management system. This one happened to be in Europe, by the way, um, where they were able to, in essence, um, become the darling of their particular industry, very niche, um, and disrupt their industry and become the standard that everybody leverages on. And therefore, railroad safety went up and uh, your ability to run these things on time went up. And uh, people enjoyed uh, dealing with the railroads differently because everything ran on time. And by the way, if it didn't run on time, they knew when the stuff was going to get fixed and when your train was going to show up to the minute. That was something mm -hmm. that's unheard of. Mm -hmm. uh, and certainly we, we can argue, we probably can't find aspects of that around here. That's an example of a success. And of course they mm -hmm. were bought by a large railroad conglomerate and that, but they became the disruptor. 
that created a net net new industry in the system. I always think that in the back of my head because they kind of did everything right. They were mm-hmm. big organization, but the the uh, CEO was a disruptor. He was asking the questions. Uh, he only hired people that would would have the obligation to descend. I remember him, you know, almost yelling at me the first time I met with him. <laughs> Um, you're going to have to, he says, if you disagree with me, you disagree with me. Don't ever uh, mm-hmm. go along. To, and that's a, something that's a, um, a hard thing to do if you're dealing mm-hmm. with a client. And mm-hmm. I could tell that that culture was going to be successful because no matter what, he was going to keep trying something until they got something working. And that's what happened and spent mm-hmm. billions of dollars to get that work running and therefore was able to create an industry. So apply that in logistics, other logistics, trucking industries, things like that. And those things have changed the way we're dealing with that. We have autonomous driving right now, autonomous use of railroad equipment, even though people are a little freaked out about that. All that stuff has come into play because I think companies like that existed to start asking the questions. People that would be a, uh, a failure would be anybody who who's trying to get the value of digital transformation, use of cloud to fund their innovation. You're never going to get there. So in other words, mm-hmm. the first thing they say is, like, we're looking for the savings we're going to get in cloud computing to fund our cloud computing migration. Never going to happen. And to me, I always want to turn around and walk out that door. Sometimes mm-hmm. I can, sometimes mm-hmm. I can't. But they're just going to die the death of a thousand cuts because they're so adamant about keeping things within the budget and not making the investment and not having to go to the board of directors and the investors that say we're out of or off budget. We're going to have to declare a different EPS, earnings per share, uh, that they're just t- terrified of making any changes. They're not going to mm-hmm. be successful. And mm-hmm. those are never successful. Uh, you know, I just kind of watch those things struggle for time and time again, and they just kind of fall back into old habits. Nothing really gets done. In fact, in many instances, they waste money because they kind of uh, take half measures in moving in the cloud and doing half measures in digital transformation, things like that. So they don't get to the end value state. In other words, they just have mm-hmm. projects they end up abandoning and mm-hmm. they may do so every couple of years and nothing ever gets done. And that's a good way to, you know, deplete resources and have absolutely no ROI that comes back from the value. Unfortunately, those are the majority of the companies I see out there. Mm-hmm. Now, they're making different, there's making different assumptions right now. The generative AI stuff, which really isn't being practiced yet, mm-hmm. is certainly being discussed, has people scared. Yeah. So they're really well, scared. Let, well, can we, let's, let's start with like halfway mark reckoning kind of getting it out there so what are the fundamental values of the cloud generative ai and modern computing platforms because i think this is where the rubber meets the road david if if you can give us like there's so much whatever you want to call it bs hype like uh, a video when was it like four months ago one day 30 percent up in value i mean you know, all the, the chip wars, that book that I haven't read yet, but, you know, all these sort of things. Give us the real deal. I mean, what you just help us kind of unpack what the reality is versus hype and, you know. Yeah. One day we should get on the, another podcast and talk about books we haven't read yet and <laughs> what they say. Um the the hype is exceeding the reality of the technology as always the case and we saw i saw this with the cloud computing boom you know back in 2009 2000 uh 2008 2009 where suddenly it became a disruptive technology and we had companies on the on the realm that were going to take everything to the next level at the end of the day generative ai is good technology that's going to have a value in lots of these organizations you're able to leverage it cloud computing makes generative ai possible because it makes it cheap enough to consume because i don't have to buy 
uh, hardware and software and build a data center to, and lots of cooling and lots of power to, to push these things. In many instances, I can just make a try-by where I'm leveraging generative AI as a service out of the one of the major cloud providers or even a cloud provider that may be specifically built for to, to, to give generative AI. So the value is there. Um, what I see as the major driver in generative AI is not the technology as much itself, but the idea of the technology that's scaring the death out of traditional organizations that think they're about to be disrupted. You know, suddenly if you go out to, you know, a generative AI system like ChatGTP, uh, GPT, excuse me, and you're looking at it and testing it, do fantastic, amazing things. That's what generative AI is able to do. It's able to generate new responses kind of based on massive amounts of data that's able to consume. Well, the application for that, and by the way, AI has been doing that for years. Now we have the ability to use large language models to communicate with these systems in more, more humanistic ways and leveraging them in much more productive ways from the prompts. And so we have value within those systems, but it not necessarily in every application. It will be, have value in terms of our ability to run a logistics operation because it can uh, generate net new routes based on existing routes and existing understanding of weather and all these other patterns that come to come into play. So it's make, able to make very complex decisions uh, and therefore may add some value in those particular instances. And lots of the ways that people are looking to apply it probably won't add as much value. It's kind of cool. And certainly you can say our, you know, our product is powered by Gen AI, um, but it's gonna be missing the mark in terms of its ability to provide value back to the business. The other thing is it costs a lot of money to run. So in other words, it, it takes a lot of processing power, a lot of storage, those things take a lot of power to cool. So the concern would be that the, the resource consumption would go way up, not for the value benefit that comes back. So what businesses need to do right now is to understand what that technology is capable of doing and what that technology is not capable of doing and figure out the right use cases and how to leverage it. The big concern that I'm seeing right now is people kind of take the opposite. They make a mass movement into generative AI, trying to push every system that they have under this technology, or it's like they did with cloud back in 2009, 2010, 2011. And in many instances, it was misapplied. In fact, we have this notion of repatriation right now in the cloud field where people are pulling things back to a private data center because something was moved to the cloud in many instances during the pandemic and should never have been moved to the cloud. It was just uneconomically un viable to run in the cloud. Well, the same thing with generative AI. So it's going to have some usefulness and it's going to have some disruptive nature in the fact that we're able to leverage this technology in a faster, better way to uh, you know, leverage it for particular tactical uses. But as far as it strategically changing the way in which we do business, uh, that's probably not going to happen, at least for a long time. So we're going to find some uses of it. The big problem now is I see it being applied everywhere. Uh, I hear it in the meetings all the time as, as everything that's going to be a candidate solution for whatever the, whatever the problem is. <laughs> Generative it's AI. Not, <laughs> yeah, it's not a transaction oriented. It's, it's not a, it, it's not good for transaction oriented system. It's good for when we have to process lots of information and make a conclusion. We did that using logical operators, you know, in the past, and we just do so using generative AI now, where, where the, the large language models are easier to communicate, should be cheaper to deploy those things. But it's going to have an application in about one in 10 use cases, not every use case. And that's the big fear I have right now. People end up spending more money and more time and chasing the, the the hype that is generative AI. I call it managing by magazine. Everybody seems to be chasing after this stuff and they're gonna end up implementing it for the wrong reasons and the wrong sectors and not find the value. Companies out there that will be winning the game are people who understand what the value of this stuff is. And they're looking to study it 
understand it. They're doing POCs right now, which I love to see because people are experimenting with the technology versus trying to put it into production and have something fail. And they're able to find um, niches and opportunities to apply it and something that's going to be driving some sort of a net new innovation. So in other words, a generative AI system is able to go into a particular niche application, which is able to drive something that provides a better customer experience, better product, better product support. You know, something has a viable ROI in the business. It's not around a sales transaction oriented system. I understand it's cool to have somebody who can, you know, go into LinkedIn learning and, you know, bring up all the interactions to figure out where this person went to school and that kind of stuff. Um, that's all well and good, but it doesn't necessarily get to core value drivers and why we're building it. Core to here is, in other words, I would always ask the question, how can this technology be applied so I was going to have a better customer experience? How is this technology going to be applied so I have a better product and service? How is this technology going to be applied where I can track the value that comes back from the business pretty easily? So it's not, you know, automating uh, the sales order entry process that doesn't have a lot of value, even though it's kind of cool. We're using Gen AI to do that. Doesn't it's expensive and it's it's not necessarily going to add a lot of value. However, in the ability to provide technical support and in such a way where they don't know they're dealing with the generative AI engine, in other words, they're dealing with something that's going to be very productive for them to get to the questions answered as quickly as they want to answer, more so than dealing with a human, then that's going to have value. And people are going to choose to deal with us versus the other players there because we're able to leverage this technology as a true force multiplier to do something better than some of the other uh, systems that are out there. The ability to leverage generative AI systems to have more safety systems involved, apply applicable in automobiles, the ability to you know, have massive amounts of accident data, coordination to figure out uh, what patterns are occurring now that may lead to a percentage of risk that I'm going to crash the car because I'm you know, too tired or, or something like that, or the ability to have monitoring systems where we're in these watches, might able to use the data for some good purpose, where it's able to look at massive amounts of training data and figure out based on my blood pressure and my oxygen saturation, my beats per minute, exercise routine, my weight, everything this thing knows, um, you know, what are the likelihood that I'm heading to some sort of a medical event and how can that be avoided? And I always think we're not doing that enough because we just don't have the uh, applicability of this various technology to make it happen. Some of it's occurring, but not as much as that can be occurring in those systems. So it's applying it in ways that are gonna drive innovative net new changes that are gonna provide more value back to the customers who are the people that are paying the bill. And the more value you're able to bring back to the customers, more money that's gonna come to your business. And I think that that's really kind of the nut to crack. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, I think we have, have a tendency to deal with technology like kids play soccer. There's no rhyme or reason or strategy. Balls kicked over there. That's where they run. Balls kicked over there. That's where they run. Mm -hmm. Everybody's running towards Gen AI right now. Like everybody ran to cloud computing. Some people ran to edge computing, all these sorts of things. It's just not going to have the value that many people are seeking unless they take a strategic look at what this technology does and doesn't do. You sound like you said soccer. I'm almost thinking pinball. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pinball. Um, you said about the POC. When I'm hearing just what you were sharing, it seems like there needs to be now more investment in generative AI research, the design and strategy to understand, not, not like an Elon Musk, like we got to stop it because we don't want the singularity robot killing all of us and destroying us and then just going <laughs> to Mars, right? And just laughing, right? Having a fun time thinking they got the humans, but really, how are we going to figure this out? More like almost anthropologists 
like more human centric design, you know, but I just don't see enough organization. Are, are there organizations going through that or am, am I doing an overkill? But I'm just unpacking what you shared because it's very complicated. And you said about one out of 10 user case scenarios actually are worthwhile. So how do you scratch off those nine or figure out those 10 and, and get to a, you know, that to me um, is fascinating. Yeah, it is. And and guys like me are doing that right now. And we're doing some of that at Deloitte because obviously we're a consulting firm and therefore we make money on people implementing solutions that, that bring to bear value. And so therefore we want to make sure we're implementing the right values. But um, you have a, a lot of pundits in the industry that are kind of going through this right now and mentioning things. I'm certainly one of them. They're just not getting the attention that I think they need. So I see a few posts and things like that are very intelligent with when it should be used and not be used, uh, you know, what value propositions it can have, what kind of use cases should be, and basically starting the research as to what are the value metrics we need to use for this technology, which is the same stuff we use for cloud computing and edge computing and even a machine learning and some of the early instances of AI that, that were predecessors to AI. You gotta remember AI has been around since the 50s. Um, and they're just not, they just don't have a tendency to get the attention and the push in the market that I think they should. Obviously, I think I should have a more more of an impact in the market and more people should listen to me. But the reality is you're you're competing with $30 billion of marketing dollars, best I can tell. Mm. So how do you do that? Writing a white paper here and an article there and you know, podcast here and, and that kind of stuff to get above that noise when it's within the best interest for the cloud companies, the technology companies, even some of the consulting companies out there promote this technology as something that's a cure-all for everything so they can drive this market and enter their market and get their position in the market as quickly as they can. And I think that's where mistakes are made. If you look at early days of cloud, it's a prime example. Everybody was told by the cloud providers and even some of the cloud pundits that are out there, moving the cloud as quickly as you can, have a cloud-only strategy. I think even the government adopted it. And everybody just kind of made a mass move to the cloud without understanding why that was occurring. There was no why ever answered. There's just what we're doing and getting in the cloud as quickly as possible. And we ended up wasting a lot of money. And we saw in 2022, we did a lot of research and surveys. People primarily lost money in their cloud purchases. They thought they would save money moving everything into the cloud. Best I can tell, and I, I cite this in my book, is probably 2.5 times as much as they thought the initial, uh, uh, they thought the cost was going to be to live in the cloud versus even more traditional systems than on-premise. So there was no value there in many instances. And that's because, not because cloud can't have value and not because it's not a force multiplier. It certainly is. In many instances, it's the only alternative we have. It's because no one asked the question as to what was the correct use and proper use of this technology and when it should be leveraged. And also the fact that it's never gonna be a mass movement to any single platform. It's gonna be a diversification of platforms that were are going to be um, uh, right and more optimal for different workloads and different data sets that are out there. It's not always going to be the cloud. It's not always going to be the edge. It's not always going to be our on-premise. It's not always going to be in a data center. It's going to be a ubiquitous computing environment where all these things are running on the platforms where they're able to return the most value. That's cloud computing. Well, same thing with generative AI. In other words, what are the applications and use cases that are able to return the most value? And are we spending enough time asking ourselves why, how, these things need to occur and that what are the value metrics in terms of it returning value back to the business providing a better quality service customer experience things like that and if that we're unable to get to that and understand that we're just going to end up making a bunch of other mistakes and it's always going to get to a point and this drives me nuts 
you know, people say, well, Dave, it works. You know, our generative AI system is running fine and everything's working fine. And uh, everybody seems to like it. That doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. That, that just means that you got something functionally working and operating, but the value that is coming back to the business may, may be uh, minimal or non-existent or even negative. And, and a lot of those things really just aren't understood. And it's difficult, you know, it's, it's hard to be the designated buzzkill out there, but <laughs> in many instances, kind of that's what we need. You get the old uh, descending opinion that occurs. And so the CEOs that are listening to people who are saying, why are we doing this? Doesn't mean anything against generative AI. It just means that we're looking for technology that's uh, able to provide the most value to the business. That's the journey. And I get people all the time when I, when I, you know, mention this, this is about it depends and, you know, uh, you know what it, it, the, the people hate that question answer from consultants, but that's true. And then someone will come away and well, Lindigam, he's down on generative AI. Absolutely not the truth, not the case. Mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. from any technology is going to be fine. What I'm down on is mismatching the problems we're trying to solve with solutions and running after stuff where everything looks like a nail if we have a hammer and we can't mm -hmm. survive that way. That's just yeah. going to be another round of failures that they're going to kill many businesses. It just seems like I, I hate to say it, what your micro uh, the you know sharing is almost like a microcosm of the macrocosm. And right now we have this I don't know if you've ever heard of this um venture capitalist gentleman who wrote a manifesto, right? A uh, 5000 page recently basically ode to AI and all that we can make on AI and that it's just so optimistic that I'll say positivity, manifesto, technology, whatever. But it's like, are we kidding? There is some serious stuff going on. I, I, granted, um, I hate to say it, but the people, you, you talked about it, 30 billion, $30 billion investment aren't like we're talking advertising. Yeah, marketing, marketing mm -hmm. alone, and you know, just buy our system, buy our Google, you know, whatever those big three or four names, and you know, these big venture capital firms, which I'm not mentioning any of the names, I just accidentally did one, but it seems like it's all about, you know, and and so um, it's that land grab, and and history repeats itself. So, for you to be the expert in the middle to your clients, like doing the right thing. Um, yeah, I could only imagine, uh, in the end, they have to use it, right? Once you've bought this Ferrari or whatever, do you, you know, so anyway, it just seems like there's not enough nuance. There's not enough discussion. There's either like you're for AI, it's the greatest thing, um, or you're then a regulator. And then it's like, no one, you know, politicians, Granted, they've they've earned their right that no one trusts them either. But then you're like Elon Musk that thinks we need to stop it. And so there's really no, you know, I feel like what I'm hearing from you is a, a sensible, logical, real conversation, but it's drowned out by $30 billion. So I'll just stop there. I'm on my little rant. No, you're absolutely right. And it's happened many times in my career. I mean, I'm, I'll be 62 next year. And, you know, I've been in this business a long time. And written for PC magazines and, you know, PC magazine and all the big, you know, public been out there as a thought leader in the space. And it's a it's something that people don't want to hear. Um, whatever technology is coming up is going to be the next destination for most of the systems out there. 
and not taking away the value of the technology, but just understanding we need to focus this and not having the ready, fire, aim kind of thing that's going on out there. It just can't scale. And so to the original point we just made at the beginning of the conversation, we're getting to a point where not only that is going to be needed, generally speaking, but if you don't do that, you're going to end up failing and falling out of the business. So if people are putting more emphasis on the technology innovation, you're able to leverage your ability to apply the resources in certain strategic ways to get the most innovative value out of your investments is going to be critical to your survival. That's not just optional. You know, something if we didn't get right 10 years ago, the business still kind of lived on as long as they were building cars or building tires or whatever they did. Uh, that's not going to be the case anymore. And I think that uh, it's going to normalize the system and have a lot of these businesses go away. That may be a good thing because we're getting people out of the market that are, you know, quite frankly, making huge mistakes and dumb moves. Uh, I say dumb moves. They're mm-hmm. not looking at the technologies in this as the strategic benefit benefit that is able to able to leverage and not understanding as well as they should. But it's uh, it's just coming up pretty quick. And, uh, you know, you and I have having maybe talking on this podcast in, in, you know, three or four years and saying, look back and say, you know, I told you so. Mm-hmm. This is what we're going through right now. But um, I don't want to tell people I told you so. I just want people to look at the stuff with an intelligent eye. Look at the value that you're about to spend a lot of money and stuff that's going to change your business. You're putting resources in this place. I understand why you're doing it because you're scared. You're afraid your other competitors are going to come up and do something and build something better. That's not going to be the case as long as you apply it in the right problems to the right problems. So if you were talking uh, to a CEO, let's just say of an enterprise uh, technology company, I, I mean, maybe it's I guess it could be any technology company. It's got to be a, a large enough company with you to do consulting on this. Let's just say it's a significant company. What would that conversation, It's. it sounds like the first thing has to be is a conversation to get that buy-in that you're the right fit, you know, to otherwise, um, I mean, how does that look? Um, can you walk me through that? Because in the end, it seems like both parties are going to be unhappy. And it sounds like, like one of the most important things is the company has to have some level of customer delight or really providing value not that all companies i mean of course in order to be successful they have to have you know so i guess what i'm thinking you know you probably have your own process like that obviously when you're in work you not all clients are your best friends there's not always the easiest clients uh work is hard i'm not trying to say it's all lollipops and sunshine but just I imagine you try to have those conversations up front in the beginning. What does that look like? That just being very open and honest, and you know, having the role of a trusted advisor, and um, you know, kind of operating like a doctor or a lawyer as someone that's looking out for the benefits of the client, not a particular industry. So it is having those tough discussions where, you know, I, I understand why you're moving in this direction, but you may be missing some marks. We may be doing some things that are going to lead down to a negative outcome for the things that are going forward, and have a discussion around that. In many instances, you're uh, you're just you're eliminated from the process. Uh, if we have that opinion, then they may not want to engage us anymore because it's dissenting. And last thing they want to do is smart have smart guys in the room that are disagreeing with them in front of their 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 uh, uh, compadres. Mm-hmm. So it it may get you out of the business. And so in many instances, client uh, customer, uh, consultants have to have this uh, ethic ethical drive, and anybody who's in the business who's providing this stuff. Is it more important to maintain the client and the revenue, or is it more important to you know provide them with the right answer? And I always view it's more important to provide them with the right answer and let the chips fall where they may, mm-hmm. 
Uh, mm-hmm. If they don't want to engage me, they don't want to engage me. But chances are they're heading for a failure anyway. We saw this in cloud a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't want to be on that train when that that wreck occurs. And mm-hmm. uh, I've had many instances, uh, you know, not lately, but years ago, uh, when I ran my own consulting firm and worked for a startup consulting firm, things like that, where we would just leave those things alone. And then a year later, we just got back in there because they made huge screw ups and cost them lots of money. And we were in there fixing things. Um, so that's always going to be the case, but it's always ethically better for everybody to tell the truth. Um, I think I tried lying once. It just didn't, it never works out. Uh, to no, no matter what business or deficit mm-hmm. it's going to have you personally. But yeah. I think you, you come out to different benefits in doing that and certainly benefits to your soul. Yeah. So, yeah. Your ability at the end of the day saying, well, I told him right. Th- I yeah. told him the right thing. Sorry, it didn't work out for me. Yeah. Well, Dave, this has been awesome. It's Thanks. really been great to have you on. And uh, I hope we can do it again. Um, and uh, I feel like these conversations are evergreen and also evolving at the same time. And uh, there's so many things that touch technology, generative AI and the applications. I have a lot of different interest of mine uh, from here on earth to healthcare technology and then also space. I don't know why, I guess, you know, um, slight interest in Mars for some reason. Will we get there? I do think we're going to have to have nuclear jet propulsion if we really are serious. So I think that will be an interesting thing. And that's coming back as well. We have uh, efforts, not me and my work. But NASA and DARPA uh, and, um, you know, that's a whole nother thing. But that needs computing and that needs AI and generative AI and cloud and all those sort of things, communication, satellites, all those sort of things. So um, anyway, that was a mouthful. But before we kind of do our send off until next time, is there anything you would like to unpack or share more about yourself? This is your time. Uh, O to Dave. Uh, Go ahead. Send it out. Uh, try to find a balance in your life. Uh, don't work too much. Don't play too much. Uh, figure out some kind of happy medium because it takes. A, it, it's uh, it's the best way to proceed. And many people don't get that right. And I will attest that he is totally spot on with that. I got to meet him prior to this, and he was in his biking outfit. He doesn't wear that just for fun other than not, mountain biking, biking. Not, mountain biking. biking. Yeah. Mountain yeah. biking. So you are a big mountain biker, which is super cool. I've tried it a little bit, but people that do it, love it. And uh, so anyway, that's awesome. I'm going to uh, send us away. Give me one second. And uh, it, it's um, I'm, I'm really uh, glad that we could have you today in the studio and we're going to do it again. Um, Friends, it has been a great journey today on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Follow us for more on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Until next time, peace be with you. Thank you.